Ora, and welcome to another edition of the GeoDorable podcast with your hosts, Chris Morris and Mark Thompson. For more information on this episode, visit the GeoDorable page on Facebook. Hello there, Chris. Hey, Mark. Good evening. Evening. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. A little bit chilly these days. It's getting colder it here. A bit. Yeah, as we head to the coldest day of the year in 20-something days' time. Mm. Or the shortest day. The shortest day. Not the yeah. coldest. Well, it might uh, Yeah, so welcome along to the Geodurable Podcast, where Chris and I talk about the weather. <laughs> well, I'm English. I can't help it. What's your excuse? <laughs> uh, bad influence. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, so this is the number one geospatial podcast in the world, based in New Zealand. Uh, yeah, based around GIS, location intelligence, you know, yeah. analytics and so forth. Yes, um, and geospatial stuff. Uh, definitely, uh, we've decided on the geo this week, haven't we, Mark? Yes, we have. We have a, a very special guest. Um, and, yeah, from there I took one of the things, many things we took from uh, talking with the guest is using the word geo in front of spatial just so to put more geography based into it. A bit more emphasis on, on yeah, I guess it's not just it's not just the spatial, it is the the, the geo. geo. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, and we do lots of uh, news, views and opinions on the show. But those opinion mark, um are they are our, our, uh, our respective companies that we work for? Uh, no, not at all. No, definitely not. <laughs> or related to anyone we know. Important or to have work a disclaimer. With. Yes, yeah. uh, completely Aaron. Yeah, totally. Um, so now we've got the disclaimer out of the, out of the way. Who's the guest, Chris? Uh, well, we have uh, Linda Hecht, um, or Linda Stevens, as uh, I think it's, uh, she's going to become, or it has become. Um, she, uh, she used to work at uh, Esri, I think, you know, 25, 28 years, something like that. Pretty senior. Yeah, uh, well, yeah made it to the senior level of Esri. Yeah, lots of interesting stories. Um, and she now runs uh, her own company, 51 by 1. Yeah. Um, so Linda's been involved in the geospatial community for a very long time. Oh, yeah. Um, with lots of experience and was really interesting to talk to. Oh, it was uh, it was fabulous. One of the, um, yeah, one of the, it was one of those things like, it was a, a long chat, obviously, um, you know, edited down for this, but um, it was so interesting. It was, and we really appreciated uh, the opportunity to speak with her. Yeah. Yeah, so um, first, shall we hit some news? Uh, yeah, let's do that. Spatial news. Now, Chris, I know you love a bit of crime. <laughs> Well, we've talked about this before in uh, earlier episodes of the uh, of the podcast uh, many, many years ago. I used to be a crime analyst, Mark. Yes, uh, with GIS, uh, using just special tools. Yeah, yeah, using uh, ArcGIS, and um, I helped develop the uh, ArcGIS uh, toolbar for uh, ArcGIS desktop. Yes, yeah, so you'll be pleased to know they've ditched all your tools. Yeah, thanks, Mark. <laughs> and they've introduced new tools. Yeah, so this is kind of, uh, well, I guess we're seeing that continuation of uh, only developing new stuff in Pro. But yeah, introducing the new Chrome Analyst tools in ArcGIS Pro. Um, yeah, so there's a bunch of tools there, Chris. Well, Add no, data. A, there's, I there's mean, that's pretty exciting. Hey, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. 
it gets really exciting when you actually start moving down the list and you start actually seeing some of the tools that um okay i'm, I'm gonna say i'm gonna say i'm just gonna take it you know take the credit some of the tools i helped develop many many years ago um so there's a there's a few good ones down here so density change was something i remember working on we've got i mean space time tools are kind of out of the box but the uh the incident sequence i developed that um <laughs> that's quite interesting and the instant path i remember developing that as well um yeah. particularly useful for for looking at um things like uh, vehicle crime theft and, and and so forth indeed um so yeah if you like crime <laughs> crime. Hilarious. Uh, something. Um, yeah. Have a, have a look at the new tools. I, I mean, um, I mean, this is this is. Are I they know free or are they licensed? Uh, that's a very good question, and one that I don't know the answer to. Oh, contact your local Israel representative. <laughs> hey, well, I mean, what's really interesting about this is that um, you know it's a big field, the whole crime analysis field. And um, you know, creating tools to support it is is going to be pretty cool. Um, yeah, and there's a new webinar on June the seventh, <coughs> which oh, cool. is in a week or so time. We should definitely publicise that. Sure. I mean, New, Zealand, New Zealand's not known for its its high crime rate, but um, hey, nevertheless. <laughs> yeah, I can feel you going, Chris. Move on. Move on. Chris. Yep. Move on. Spatial news. Now, Chris, one thing I know about you, as well as your love of crime. Uh-huh. Is your love of a good conference? Do you know I love a good conference? Haven't been to one in ages. No, that's okay. <laughs> um, and I mean, you love it so much, even having to join me at the uh, Esri User Conference. Hey, basically, your wife phoned me up and said, "Hey, can you look after Mark?" I'm a bit <laughs> nervous about letting him go by himself, so hey, right, you know, stepped in there. Um, so only a few for a few extra dollars, you can actually go for the G International Conference. Hey, where's that being held? Well, it's Dar es Salaam, which is in Tanzania, Chris. Oh, now that sounds quite cool. I'm not, I'm not just one of those people who, you know, goes to conferences because of where the conference is, but... But, that is but quite cool. That is very um, cool. Now, they do interesting, uh, interesting... Well, sorry, we'll give you the dates first. So, the date's the 29th of August to the 1st of September. Okay. So, yeah. still time to book your tickets. Sure. Um, early bird tickets close soon, um, next week, I think. Um, but interesting, in your ticket you can actually include the price of your hotel. Yeah, I like that idea. Now, presuming this is in American dollars, which it is, mm-hmm. um, that for eight hundred and fifty dollars you can have three nights accommodation. Yeah. And attend the conference. That's pretty good. That is pretty good money. Um, or you could spend twelve hundred and have five star accommodation. I mean, that's still pretty good, to be honest. That's <laughs> still really good. Yeah. Um, and then flying to uh, Tanzania. Uh, from? From Auckland. Where oh. else would you fly in the world? Well, I'm just saying some of our listeners, you know, they're, they're you know. Right. So, so other prices are available. <laughs> other flights are available, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's actually not a lot more than uh, flying to America from New Zealand. Okay, okay. Um, it, it's a lot longer in travel, about 27 hours. Okay, yeah, that's quite a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Have a look. Phosphor G, full of interesting stuff. Um, lots of different vendors and non vendors. Yeah, Talking I mean, we mentioned, cool this, uh, we mentioned this in our last podcast, Phosphor G. Um, 
Yeah. And Linda talks about it as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think worth looking into. Hey, and, okay, opportunity for travel. That looks like <laughs> a great venue. Yeah, um, and Fast for G, if you're listening, feel free to uh, sponsor us. <laughs> ah, cool. Spatial news. <laughs> uh, Chris, something you know nothing about. Sure, yep. <laughs> and I also know nothing about. Oh, boring married life, so Mark. Well, no, not boring, uh, but Tinder. <laughs> <laughs> now, we actually mentioned this story. Um, oh, well, I can't remember how long that kind of. was. Kind of. This year, earlier this year, yep. um, there was a leak, leak story, a hint, a teaser story out by Tinder about something geo. Um, and they've released it, kind of. Well, they've released it in Sydney, Brisbane, and... Um, Santiago uh, and Chile. Santiago. Yes, yeah, Santiago. So this um, is uh, Tinder Places. <laughs> and this is an association with Foursquare and Mapbox, uh-huh. um, which is interesting from, I suppose, from a from a industry point of view. So Mapbox are providing the mapping platform. Yeah. And, and Foursquare providing the places, basically. Well, I guess uh, Google Maps have now got so expensive it's not going to work for Tinder, is it? <laughs> sure. Um, but anyway, so what is it, Chris? What is this Tinder Places? Well, Mark, after much, much, much research, um, basically, I mean, basically they're introducing the concept of, of uh, places. So uh, <laughs> places where you go regularly, but only social places, right? They're not going to like the bank or anything like that. You know, it's only social places, so bars and clubs and that kind of stuff. Um, it kind of, you know, it, it records your, your location. And then if there are other people that you potentially like, it will show you whether they go to those locations. And if there's a location in common... Well, then, you know, that means you like the same kind of stuff and maybe, you know, you're more likely to match. Yeah, so there's kind of two modes. One is a um, match on this attribute, which is similar places, or no, the same places you visit. And then the other one, if you've got it as a favourite, you can actually match while you're there. Cool. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Mark and Chris talk about something like they have... Some idea of what it is. Some idea. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it seems like yeah. it's one of those things that, um, yeah, for research purposes, you know, you should try just to see. No, no. <laughs> no, but from the industry point of view, um, Mapbox and Foursquare—that's well, quite a powerful partnership. Well, what I think is really interesting is basically you're being profiled by the locations you go to. Yeah, I think is interesting. You know, and that's I guess that's where the Foursquare comes into it. Yeah, and also comes into a last previous topic about geo slavery and what have you. <laughs> Sorry, we've jumped from uh, Tinder well, to no, geo slavery. But knowing the locations, Facebook, yeah, Google, yeah. etc., who know your locations, yeah. um, Tinder's using it for your advantage. Sure. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> set the news, Chris. Yeah, so shortened news uh, this week, um, simply because of the interview, and um, yeah, the interview runs on for quite a while because the conversation was uh, was so interesting. Yeah, yep. So a little bit about Linda. I said she's worked in Esri for um, quite a while. What um, where she is now, fifty one by one, is helping out people um, understand how location uh, location analytics can be used. 
um, and advising people on technology streams. Yeah, interesting and stuff. What they can do and uh, teaching them, I suppose, special thinking things we already take for for granted. Yeah, um, and uh, if you if you haven't come across um, Yalinda before, then where have you been? Um, but um, <laughs> you should search for some of the blogs that Linda's done. They're really really interesting. Um, uh, she does uh, good blogs on um, marketing because of yeah that was her background at Esri for for quite a while, um, but also lots of uh, lots of other other yeah interesting blogs around spatial and just kind of you know the the industry in general. Yeah. Um, so it, it's well worth searching out some of those blogs as well. Is it? So let's get on with it. Hello and welcome to uh, the interview with uh, Linda Hecht or Linda Stevens. It's now uh, your court. Hello, Linda. Hello. Good morning. How are you? Uh, we're, I'm fine. Good, <laughs> uh, good. Not doing too badly. It's a little early for us, but, um, you know, that's that's just what we do. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also, it's quite cold. I think it's probably about eight degrees centigrade oh outside. Oh, my gosh. Um, well. Which isn't that cold, depending on where you live in the world, but... What, what temperature is it for you, Linda? It's actually a bit cool, but it's like 70 Fahrenheit. Yeah. <laughs> so we're a little bit better, but it is spring here, so it's beautiful. Up in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. And, Linda, you've, um, I suppose you're kind of famous, infamous in the, the geospatial world? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I try to be. <laughs> so, well, yeah, so can you... Describe yourself, and what is it that you do, and what makes you so famous? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, it's kind of an interesting question, because I think I wear diff many different hats. Um, I would, first of all, I still would first describe myself as a geographer, um, and I'm quite proud of that. That's where I got my degree in. But I also am a technologist, so I was a programmer. Um, I do, I still uh, do a lot of work in the technology field in terms of understanding it, looking at where technology is heading. And then in my career, I worked at Esri for uh, ESRI Esri for 28 years. I was an executive, and I I kind of created and managed their marketing division for many years. So if you combine all those things together, um, because they all affect each other, for me, that's I think that's kind of the best way to think about myself is how I do that. Okay. So you oversaw the uh, change from ESRI to ESRI? Yes, I did. I did do that. And I know, <laughs> I know, I, I mean, it was kind of a big deal, surprisingly, uh, for a lot of long-term ESRI users. And I'm one of those. So I started at ESRI, you know, when it was like 100 people back in the mid-80s. And I think, you know, the big driver for that was as we became more, as Esri became more of a global company, people were calling us names in their language, which ESRI is hard to say. So we wanted to standardize a name for our company that can be used globally. And so Esri or Ezra, whatever people use, is was why we moved to that and then used a more softer, lowercase look and feel for the for the name, so it was more welcoming and more um, just easier to understand what we did. So ESRI, you know, was Environmental Systems Research Institute, and the company had really moved a long way away from its beginnings into this spatial technology space, and so we really wanted the name to reflect that. Yeah, 
there's a little um, there's a little irony in that you know within an industry that where we we struggle to uh, describe what we do and we have GIS and jizz and who, we have whatever you know yeah. descriptions we then have the largest company doesn't quite know what to call itself either well that's definitely true I you know yeah. and and I I think um, I think it was a struggle um, but I do you know when you start off as we as we started off as a consulting sort of environmental impact statement company that happened to use some early technology spatial technology to do that work I mean you, you kind of are stuck with the name you don't want to change the name completely so yeah, yeah it's always been a struggle yeah I because I used, we used to work for distributors um, mm. you never you were never allowed to call it Esri yeah no that's true i know we it's true we tried we tried to get you guys brainwashed into the esri thing and then we switched a route we just switched that around on you guys keep you guys paying attention that's one reason you had to come to the distributor meetings every year find out what the heck we're up to (laughs) yeah keep changing the terminology like a goal you can't call it a goal anymore i never knew anybody called it that everybody called it that really yeah. That's hilarious. I knew some names people called it, but it wasn't very politically correct. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, so you're a geographer. Um, mm-hmm. but what was what was your eureka moment when you mm. you understood the power of of uh, geospatial analysis? I suppose. Yeah, you know, I. It was it was a eureka moment, and I I don't even remember exactly the class, but I was at UCLA getting my communications, which has my marketing background in it, and taking every single programming class I could take at the time, which was in the engineering division or um, at, at at UCLA, and then I took I just took a ge- uh, geography class and just fell in love with it immediately, and so I immediately took changed my major and just to get my degree in time I had to take a some summer school classes I just took all geography classes and at the time they were doing something called automated cartography was the, some of the early GIS stuff in in geography cl- schools and so I took automated cartography and that was really the only class but uh, one of my professors said during one summer they said you know there's a the only um, company that's doing anything in this commercially is a company that's in Redlands, California, and I happen to grow up there. Okay. So he's like, you know, I'm like, I'm going to go there for the summer to save some money. And he's like, oh, you might want to check out ESRI because they're the only company that does this, happened to be where I grew up. So it's sort of just melding of my technology and geography passion is and I started at Esri as a summer intern doing digitizing. <laughs> yeah, which was a lot of fun, let me tell you. So was it, um, you know, were you kind of like a, a human geography kind of person or are you a physical geography? Or was it just both that kind of, you know? It, it was sort of both. I started, I took every class and then I started to specialize in geomorphology, right. which is the surf, you know, sitting on the surface. Yep. And I was, I got, I got into the master's program there um, and was doing some work on linear dunes and um, some stuff happened at UCLA, so I ended up switching to uh, urban geography, doing evacuation planning, and studying how people's behavior changes based on nuclear or chemical accidents. So I was doing that, and that's when I, you know, had the summer job at Esri and stopped, and then actually transferred to UC Riverside to finish. Well, I was supposed to finish my master's, but ended up not. I got like working, you know, twenty four hours a day at Esri in those days, so <laughs> you know, real literally <laughs> not sleeping, so. Um, those were the early days, and they were fun. You know, we were really trying to change the world and 
and really um, getting out there to, you know, really get GIS into every application area that we could, you know, get our foot in. So it was exciting times. Yeah. Yeah. And now you're with 51 by 1. Yeah. Which is, is that your own company? Yeah, it's a company I founded with a, 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 a colleague of mine from that um, from Esri. His background is marketing. He was in charge of marketing operations at Esri for like five or six years. And um, so when we left Esri, we sort of decided to start this company up. And so we, we really do two things. We do strategic geo and GIS um, work like product, helping people figure out their product, planning, development, positioning, marketing, all that kind of stuff. I get a lot of um, calls from VC firms and other investment companies looking to put money into geospatial, but not really understanding the space and trying to do some due diligence on companies that they're looking at investing in. That must be interesting. It's super interesting. I mean, it surprises me, the questions they ask, let me tell you. Um <laughs> I do know that there a lot of money's been invested in satellite and you know remote sensing data. Yeah. Then they don't know what to do with it, and they're yeah. trying to find out how they can make money off of all their money they put in. But <laughs> it's also a lot of fun because I'm finding out about a bunch of GIS companies that have been that are around the world that are looking to go global. So I, it's a it's a great insight. Yeah. And and then we also do something not related to geo. We do a lot of we're developing some products in the um, artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science, data analytics space um, because we have a partnership with a company in India and uh, some really smart people here in Silicon Valley, and that have some IP that we're working with. So that's my technology hat. I'm just really love um, kind of getting into like blockchain and. Um, all the new things that are going on up here that you just never, I never had insight in just, you know, sitting in sort of that bubble in Redlands where, you know, you know, we sort of just picked up on technology after it became super mainstream. I mean, I, like I, I remember the internet coming out and, you know, we, as we really didn't develop anything for the internet until years later. So um, as part of its core, so it's kind of exciting for me. I got these two kind of hats on and then I, um, I can actually mix them together. So that's what we do. That sounds pretty interesting and mm -hmm. pretty varied. Um, yeah, <laughs> I like I like challenges. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Do you find that you, uh, when you think about the things that you're doing, your your brain automatically switches to kind of that that geography kind of vibe? Yeah. yeah. You know, I think as a geographer, I'm sorry if I, uh, I as a geographer, I always look at things from a spatial perspective. Yeah. Um. And so even I was doing some some consulting on a electrical fault detection um, tool. Um, it's actually in, uh, it's been patented and all that. And I was talking to the person that was um, building it out, and I started talking about some of the stuff we did in the early days, prototyping some of the early spatial uh, AMFM, if you remember, yep, yep. tools. And some of that work I was working on, I was I focused on that market for many years. And they had stuff they hadn't even thought about. I'm like, okay, so from a not just from a tabular data set or a network, you know, here's how you can think about this in a different way. And you know, once this person who's a data scientist, he's been involved. He worked at Yahoo in the early days. He's done Amazon. He's like so smart. As I start talking about spatial, it's like it just opens up his mind to a lot more ways to solve a problem. And then what's exciting to me is this: he'll he'll come up with stuff that the GIS technologists and stuff haven't even thought of a, a new way of solving spatial problems so it is funny how um, mm -hmm. you know I, I think as, as 
geographers, people who work in the industry, you know, spatial is always the thing we think about. And mm-hmm. I always find it surprising that everybody doesn't think yeah. in that way all <laughs> the time. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, completely flabbergasted. Somebody just, yeah. well, of course location's important. In this yeah. And yeah well, people just don't get it. It's weird. Right. And then I think they get the Google, well, I know spatial. Yeah, yeah. People kept saying, oh, you do maps. I'm like, no, I don't do maps and quit saying that because I'm not a cartographer. I mean, I did cook a cartography class, but it's like when somebody was saying, well, we'll just search. They were trying to find out if so, like, if somebody is um, in an area that doesn't have very good health care resources and like, well, we'll just search on zip code. I'm like, what if the person lives right on the edge of a zip code and there's a clinic like right across that zip loan map, zip code map? And they're like, oh, well, how do we solve that? I'm like, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know, but you're not going to do it by just using yeah. the zip code number. So yeah. anyway, yeah, I agree. <laughs> we can look at geography deserts geographer deserts and they're everywhere like there's people you know I that's why I'm we'll talk about that later but I'm super passionate about geography and spatial thinking and you gotta you gotta learn that it's not something you mm-hmm. know because you bought you know you know you're using ArcGIS online or because you're using Mapbox you just don't just because you're looking at a map doesn't mean you understand spatial reasoning yeah that's for yeah. sure <laughs> um so you've worked in or is remarketing and still in marketing mm-hmm um, and it's obviously a passion with geography. Yeah. <laughs> how do they, oh, I suppose, oh, how do they go together? Because they obviously kind of go together. But yeah. When I when I first read about 51 by 1, it almost sounded like you were doing marketing based on a geographic approach. Um, yeah, I think it's just natural, right? Especially when we start working, we do work with nonprofits and um People that are um, like I did some work on analyzing the market um, opportunities for a company that was getting funded out of Switzerland in the United States, and you have to look at that from a geographic perspective, right? Because it was a surveying product, and rules and laws and stuff are always spatial. So I do, but in reality, um, I what you know what happened for me is that I started at Esri. Um, um, doing prototyping and doing, you know, building out applications and prototypes um, for new market areas. Um, like cartography actually worked on a Rand McNally uh, benchmark, all the way electric and gas to Hong Kong lands information systems, right? Building out some of those early prototypes of applications now that are sort of just taken for granted that GIS is the foundation of. But really what happened to me is I was doing maybe five benchmarks a year and these were big big intensive kind of um you know things you had to automate data and go and it, was, it was really a lot of work i'm like i can only i can't really it's going to take me a lifetime to just get in front of like you know 100 people so i started looking at ways that we i could better get this messaging out and marketing is a perfect has a perfect tool set for that so um I created, you know, basically created the marketing division. We had some specialized marketing people um, that we hired early on, but really created that to do three things, um, which I think was really the the genius of what Esri did in the early days is one is to brand geography because geography at the, in those days, geography programs, at least in the United States, were getting canceled all over the place, and they still are. I mean, you rarely get that much geography training here in the States. So... Working with National Geographics, um, we started that relationship with them, um, GIS Day as part of Geography Awareness Week, really trying to modernize the concept of geography. 
The second thing was really trying to brand GIS as a as a market. Um, and a lot of our competitors, even ours, a lot of Esri's competitors in those days were trying to come up with new terms to try and, you know, create a market space that they could own. So really promoting that. That's why we have GIS Day, GIS Education Programs, all that stuff. And then third was to promote Esri as the best solution at the time for all of that. And so, you know, to do that, you really have to then learn the science and art of marketing. Is So I just kind of dove in and started uh, learning that from the bottom up. And I mean, I had communicate. I was a communications major for many years, I mean, three years at UCLA. So I had some of the foundations. But I think what was really good for me was uh, something I'm really passionate about and really believe in. So we really created kind of two parts to that. One is supporting our customers and creating environments for them to teach each other and learn and share and collaborate and then going after new markets. So it was, you know, in those days it was it was exciting. We were really creating a whole new space, trying to get people to understand the power of spatial thinking. And I think we did a really good job. I mean, I think that's why we GIS is where it is today. Yeah. Did you uh, did you use GIS yourself in your marketing team? I you know mapping your CRM and all of that. Kind of stuff? <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, Esri's technology was hard to use for that kind of stuff, um, <laughs> especially in the in the early days. I mean, and even you know, so it's funny because it was all workstation, and then Map Info came out, which was focused on like marketing and easy to use desktop. It was the first desktop GIS. And then Esri came up with ArcView, but ArcView wasn't as powerful as MapInfo was. And it was hard, especially because we don't do B2C. So it's business to business. So, you know, to say the only thing we really used it for was like locating events. So show me where all of our customers are and then show me the best place to locate events based on drive time and, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, you know, it was it was kind of a stretch. So... No, yeah, so, we didn't. So not no market analytics or anything of, of what sort of customer should we go over after Mm-mm. and. No, because in re- well, there's lots of complications. But in reality, like even the when we bought, um, eBiz, which now I I can't remember what they're calling it, but when we bought the um, segmentation data, that's really B to C. You know, you don't sell. You don't you don't market you don't sell to how a person lives you know their lifestyle you sell to a company or you um, right you're selling to a, you know Oakland the city of Oakland and the person that's in charge of the buying decision it doesn't really matter if they're lattes or laptops right but when you you market you definitely market to people but um, you know that that kind of segmentation doesn't matter so much um, so we we didn't use. Like I said, Esri's technology, we used it a little bit, but not, it just wasn't designed for that. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you talked a lot there about, you know, creating GIS Day, creating the term, geography, and, and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a long time, there's been the promise that, you know, GIS is going to escape from the back room and be mainstream. Mm-hmm. But it still seems quite, you know, a backroom technology. You know, the little GIS team is, is, is kind of you know, locked away downstairs next to IT. Well, yeah. maybe next to IT. Not, not, not known as the no, team. on the other yeah. side, as far away from IT as they can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> and is it, is it kind of, you know, have we failed in that? Have we, you know, it, it just seems though we, we haven't quite, well, we haven't come mm. mainstream. No. And I think that, but I think it's a natural progression. I think that part of the early days was, you got to remember back then there was no, none of the spatial data was automated. 
So we used to talk about targeting industries that were geocentric, right? People, you know, industries that really had almost all their assets information was spatial. So, you know, land records, environmental work in the early days, um, electric, gas, you know, those things all exist in, in a, at a, and it matters where they are and it matters how they're connected, right? So you had to automate the data because it can't go mainstream until there's a lot of data that's readily available. And and I think I wrote a blog post about this. That's the exciting thing for me is that once data becomes readily available in the spatial world, you know, that's when you're going to see a lot of applications and new um, problems being solved. And so you have companies in New Zealand like Coordinates who are trying to make it easy for people with that kind of data to publish that stuff and make it available. And... Um, so I think the early days was all about automating and managing that spatial data. And, you know, there was Intergraph, and they they did it. Um, Esri, of course, did it. Small World, which is now owned by GE, did it for utilities in a big way. So that data is out there. And what I always tell people is for any customer, or any user, the data is the most important thing they have. You know, so keeping that up to date and keeping it clean and not corrupt is important because you can change out technology anytime you want. You can move, you know, your data to a different, you know, system. You can, you know, you can do that kind of work, but you got to have the spatial data in there to begin with. Um, my concern has always been sort of keeping that proprietary and locked away in kind of the special models that only a certain system can use because I think that really limits the growth of um, geospatial. Yeah, and you can see that, I suppose, Esri's move away from database. I mean, they still do some interesting things with the database model in terms of edits tables and that. Yeah. But they don't market so much the database anymore. Yeah, the geodatabase. Well, I think it's because it was too... I, I, I think it's... Um, I always thought it was bad to market that anyway because in a, in a lot of ways you don't want to promote the fact you're putting your data into a special system that only the GIS department can access and use and control because that's really against, you know, the concept that most federal and government agencies are saying is we want open data. I mean, the taxpayers paid for this data. Let's make it readily available. Yeah. So the fact that it's, it's still there and, you know, and, and even just, you know, Esri's created a new network model that's their new spatial network model for utilities and, you know, it's going to be the same problem. You know, you have to have an Esri system to use that. And I think that's just kind of, that's the thing of a path, the past. I think there's going to be spatial data is, you know, the data is going to be important, not the, techno not the technology underlying it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that sort of brings us up to where GIS kind of, or mapping maybe became mainstream with, with Google Maps. Yeah. And that, I'm trying to remember how long ago that was. It was about 10 years ago. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? <laughs> that, um, yeah. Yeah, I remember we, um, Jack was actually coming to the conference and we, when I worked for the distributor here and mm. we had to have a pre-briefing session about mm. um, the impact of Google Maps and he downplayed it. Yeah. Saying Google Maps, you know, it's good what they're doing, um, but, you know, it's, it's not a GIS. Um, yeah. Yet it's it's still around. I mean, it's just got more expensive. But yeah, um, there's a lot more players now in that. In that, I want to call it GIS light mm -hmm. um, technology space. But it's not really. It's 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 mm -hmm. just easier mm -hmm. GIS. Yeah, I think I think that's a good way to think about it, right? 
Um, I don't think that, I think when Google came out, it's not that GIS became mainstream, it's became, mapping became mainstream, which I think is an, it's important. Um, and I think that some basic, some stuff like geocoding and routing became more mainstream. Uh, but I think, so I think you're going to, and I think that's important because it's like the, you don't have to buy a GIS to use spatial analysis, even in a simple way. And most people don't do complex spatial analysis. I mean, most applications don't need the complex, you know, creaming or, you know, modeling that, you know, a yeah. researcher might need. Um, and, you know, the, like for me, the exciting thing is, is, you know, now when you're in, um, in, let me turn my, when you're in, um, Twitter, you can now do a near. There's a search you can do, which is find me all the tweets that are near a location and using even a search radius. And you and, and the cool thing is you don't. It's free. You don't have to buy an enterprise GIS license to do that anymore. You can just do that. And I think it's because it combines data with applications with spatial tools. And I think you're going to see more and more of that. Yeah. So GIS um, becomes more accessible. Well, I suppose spatial. Spatial Oops. analysis becomes more accessible. Yeah, I think, and I don't think people are even going to realize it. Like, you know, when you get in your car and say, I want to find the route to where I'm going, you just, just you know, you just take that yeah. for granted. I mean, in the early days of GIS, that was hard, right? Geocoding yes. was a thing that we, I mean, that was, you know, we, you know, you have to hire specialists into that. And now it's just, you know, you can just do it. Um, so I think, I think that, that's what we're going to start seeing. I think when Google Maps and Earth came out, the good thing that happened is that it really made Esri's and the bigger players sit up and go, okay, we can't just be doing this. This is going to eat into our revenue stream. How can we add this to our platforms? That's a good thing because they made some applications that were like whatever, Esri, um, ArcGIS Explorer and stuff like that. But you still had to have the platform. Yeah. Um, but it's like Mark, the customers were like, we, we want to do what they do, but we want to do with our data. So it's like, okay, let's add this app to it. And so I think the cool thing about that and everything that's going on today is that the JS industry historically hasn't been that innovative. Um, right. Yeah. And they usually take some a while to get into some of the cooler technologies. But I think, I think that that's going to overtake them because I think technology trends are in spatial, at least are happening faster and faster than they is, were. Is that because GIS people are, are too happy in their own little world um, producing uh, a map yeah. or is it because people aren't fluent in spatial analysis? They, they're so used to doing a form or a graph or, you know, some sort of database query or join that they don't have the language for it. You know, it's probably a combination of that. I think that the GIS community is happy in their space because they traditionally have their, you know, their department that they run and they can do what Socks they need to do. Sandals. Yeah. Yeah. And some, you know, some aren't, but they, you know, like it, like in some of the newer industries that are still geocentric, like the insurance industry, they still are like the only GIS person in the insurance company. And they're kind of like the lone wolf trying to get heard. But I, so I but I think that approach is wrong because I do think that um, it's really limiting, and I think that as you see the GIS managers kind of retiring because it's been a while, mm -hmm. I think you're going to see some innovation coming out. I mean, open source community in geo is is dynamic; it's growing, 
And um, a lot of these smart startups or even larger companies are just taking open source tools and using them in their applications. So they're finding that spatial thinker, but they're finding them in the open source community. And unfortunately, because the, the commercial GIS world where people are trained in like an Esri world, they just, they're, they're very, um, I don't want to say afraid, but they're very leery or they just don't even want to look at open source because they've been told not to, right? The, yeah. Their vendors are saying, oh, this is, you know, it's, it's not, you know, it, it's buggy. And they're just, they're, they're marketing against open source. And so unfortunately, these GIS professionals are just kind of, as everybody calls it, drinking the Kool-Aid and they're not really looking out for... I'm sure they, do, they don't refer to it like that in yeah. history, do they? Yeah, we do. <laughs> they did. They still do. But they, but that, I mean, that was part of it, right? It's like, you. that's what, you know, what is the story? What's the open source versus GIS, you know, traditional commercial story? And they get told what that story is and they don't want to look. But I think they need, I mean, I've written blog posts about this. You need to look out to, for alternatives. You always do. I don't care if it's GIS or it's CRM or whatever. You know, a lot of people miss the cloud move, you know, when Salesforce first came out because they were focused, they were just happy in their little world. But up here in Silicon Valley, Geo is just booming. And these people aren't going and working with Esri's or Hexagon or any of that. They're building it right into their products, you know? It's because so, it, it's not that complicated anymore. Where's the, where's the money for um, open source? Um, the money from open source, well, open source gets funded often by big federal contracts like NGA, National Geospatial Agency, just, you know, they pay organizations like a boundless geo to build tools that they need because, you know, Esri's either not building them or it's, you know, or they just, they, they have a mandate to do more open source or whatever it is. And then once those things are built, they go right back into open source, into the open source library. So yeah. you get big organizations like that. Um, a couple agriculture companies are doing it that way. So it's like if I'm going to pay for tools, I'd rather pay for them and get them out in open source and pay for them and put them back into the Esri library and then Esri sells them, right? Or Hexagon or whoever. Yeah. And the cool thing is you can say specifically what you want and need and and when. And so it can be very, very focused on what your requirements are. So I think that, and then what you're seeing is like a Mapbox, Cardo, um, a lot of these companies are just taking and leveraging the, the open source tools that they need, like a routing tool or a, you know, a fine tool or a near tool, just pulling those out of open source and putting them into their solution. Yep. Are they putting them back? I suppose. A lot of them do. Yeah. The, in fact, this, this week, or this week was Phosphor-G here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And you'll see the sponsors are like, you know, they include those kind of companies because, yeah, they do. And they want to, they go to these events to see where, what's happening, you know, what, where are some new tools getting built. Um, So they, a lot of them contribute and they also, um, they, you know, they have some of their staff on the, on, in the committees that, you know, review the tools and it's very organized. I mean, I was really impressed with the organization of the open source for geo tools and community that's out there. Yeah, we had a look at um, the Phosphor-G um, program. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It, it's very diverse. Mm-hmm. It's very different as well, especially if you've kind of just been to the Esri. Oh, yeah. see completely. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And, and, you know, what's fun about it, and I highly recommend it, because I, I was, 
when I started as we the user conference was in Palm Springs and it used to be a bunch of techie geeks talking technology and you know we were you know the the presenters were all as we programmers and it was you know it was exciting and and interesting now it's as the conference became you know as you're kind of talking at you and hexadon talking at you but you go to phosphor g and you get that dynamic still at the breaks and in the conferences and in the workshops people are raising hands or thinking out loud because there's no vendor that's trying to control the conversation so even if you're using a vendor you, I mean, Phosphor G is just still an exciting place to get your GIS spatial analysis thinking hat on again. Yeah. I mean, it's always the pain whenever you're at a, well, for me, at an Esri presentation you'd, and they say, well, we've got this new tool or new feature and you want to raise your hand and go, but did you fix the last bug? <laughs> right. And, right. And, and inevitably the answer is no, we didn't. We've done something else. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of that is just how Esri's organized themselves. I mean, you, you hire programmers who code and write new code, but you really also have to have an, a, a philosophy or a mindset of quality, right? And that's never been, for whatever reason, I mean, a lot of companies do the same thing, right? They just, quality is just not the thing that they focus on. And, um, and when I was used to use Esri technology in the early days when it was on, you know, minis, is that the good news was there's usually five ways of doing something in the Esri platform. So if one part didn't work, you could try it a different way. Um, That's still true, isn't it? it? I think it probably is. I haven't actually been a user of it for years, but I would imagine because, you know, different modules get written by different people. And sometimes I write the same thing. They just, because they're not really realizing it. So yeah. you could do it. You know, there's like four geocoding engines or whatever, right? So if one doesn't work, try another. But, but you know, you can't if you're a developer or you're a, you know, a small city or something where you don't have an enterprise site license, you know, for lots of money. So you kind of have to figure out how you can do what you can with the products you, you can afford. And that's another issue. Things come out. It's like, is that, where, where is that? And, oh, that sounds really nice, but I have to buy ArcGIS online. I have to buy a bunch of credits and I need a server in the back end. And after a while, you're like, I'm not going to be able to do that simple mapping app anymore. Right. Yeah. So you've been, you kind of, you know, in, in the conversation we've had, there's lots of kind of, I guess, um, talk around, you know, GIS, what it is now, where it's, you know, where, where it's potentially going. Mm -hmm. but what's your vision? Like, you know, where do you think GIS is going? Is it is it still a profession? Is it still a, a thing that you, you know, would you recommend grads to go into it? Uh, you know, that's a good question. And I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I really keep coming back. I think just GIS just goes away as a, except as a concept, like in a history book. Um, and I hate to say that, and probably everybody's going to throw, but I'm, I think that it's like RDMS, RDBMSs, right? You know, you, you still have people that are data analytic, you know, people that understand how to do stuff in a database, but it's not something you're like, oh, I'm a RDBMS specialist, and there's a whole market for that. It's, I think that GIS isn't a system, and um, it's not a platform. I think it's... Um, I think that geospatial is definitely a, you know, a, a um, uh, career path or way of thinking. And what's really worries me is that people get JS degrees, but they've never taken any like true geography classes. So you can't learn, you know, it's like learning a tool, but not under understanding the, the concepts behind it. So um, 
I think that you're just going to see spatial in like, like you're starting to see now, you know, Tableau has spatial analysis is just and they can make maps with your data. Um, you're starting to see companies like foam, which is doing spatial in blockchain. Mm-hmm. Um, and those people need people that can think spatially because I'm telling these people don't think spatially, but, um, I think that the problem I have is that people come out today going, oh, I know, I have a skill set. I know how to use, you know, a hexagon product or an arc product, and that's what I'm going to do when the technology just doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just a tool. You know, you can use any, you know, any tool, you can learn any tool. It's like a programming language. And I just don't, I think GIS, I think that GIS degrees, I, 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 I've told people before, I, don't, I just don't think that's where I would head. I mean, go and take a class in GIS, but, you know, get your degree in geography or something similar. I think just that, you know, from, from what you've been saying, it's getting that, you know, that, that degree in some form of programming, some form of, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know I, I, IT and then applying geography. Rather than, yeah, as you say, getting the, the geography, the, the, sorry, the GIS degree and becoming a, I don't know, yeah, a, a cartographer. It's or, a degree or in a technology, else. isn't it? Which is, yeah. it's always a concern. <coughs> yeah, because the point of a degree should be to learn the um, learn the basis of what you're doing, not learn yeah. a specific aspect of the technology. Yeah, and I think you know you see that with CAD. I, I still think like these tools can be learned in you know in the United States, like community college or you know different organizations teach it. It's just a tool like learning AutoCAD. You know, you don't get a degree in AutoCAD. Um, so I think that, um, I, I, you know, like I said, I think technology comes and goes, but spatial problems solving is a skill that doesn't come and go. Um, and, you know, I mean, I already mentioned, I talked to people up here and they don't think that way, but as they learn it, I think they're going to start applying it in ways that GIS vendors haven't thought of before. And I think it's going to be, it's an exciting time. It's just... Um, I think we need, I think it needs to go faster. But Yeah, so how does it go faster? Is it the people? I mean, do we need to to understand business more because we're so busy on our map, on our map making? Yeah. Or is it, is it, a, is it a, just a lack of education that you do a, um, say you do a commerce degree or, or something and at no point, you know, they've all talked to you about what a, why you don't do a pie, pie chart. Yeah. Um, but they haven't taught you about how to do spatial analysis. Yeah, and I think, well, I think part of it is it's expensive. So I think once we move away from thinking of GIS as a platform and it costs a million dollars a year to get a site license or whatever, and it's just tools like open source, I think as open source gets used more and more at the university level or at the college level, I think in different departments, I think you're going to see people coming out just thinking that way and not even have heard of GIS. And um, I think that's part of it. I think um, I think that, you know, my problem even with that aspect is that, you know, people, anybody can make a map now, right? You go in and you can click on a bunch of buttons and up comes a map and you're like, yay, I'm a cartographer and you're not. <laughs> and so I think, and, I, you know, I took cartography classes and grads. I mean, it's, and you know, the Monomer's book online with maps is a classic. Yep. Right? And you read that book, you're like, oh my gosh. And you see on TV, you're like, oh, that map is being made to promote that aspect of their, you know, whatever, their viewpoint. And I think we need to have 
those kinds of classes that are traditionally taught in a geography program taught even at the K through 12 level. You know, I think some of these skill sets can be taught, spatial thinking can be taught. You don't have to wait until somebody's 20 to learn spatial thinking. Um, so I think that, I mean, that's kind of beyond GIS, but for me, that's something that also needs to be, needs to happen at the same time. A little off topic, but um, mm -hmm. with uh, the you know the U.S. election um, mm -hmm. last year, year before, whenever it was, uh, yeah. did did you sit there dispassionately looking at you know the marketing, the maps, the, the you know the the, the the kind of the I guess the power of of how geography was applied in the election, or was it dramatic? Well, it was. I mean, it was dramatic. It was awful. But I think, you know, when you look at things like how an election's won in the United States and you look at the the way we, we elect presidents with the electoral system, it's all about geography, right? It's like, mm -hmm. what what districts do we have to win in order to win that whole state? And very focused. And they were using, I can tell you, even during the Obama, camp, Obama campaign, they were using GIS. I mean, I knew some people that were working on some of the spatial stuff for where to target. And they were definitely using that in the, um, I'm sure the, the Cambridge Analytic and those kind of folks were using some spatial tools because it's a very spatial problem. So what are the issues that are confronting people and what are they how do they vote is very much dependent on where they live as well as other factors of course yep. but i don't think people realize that in some districts say one by one or two votes and then you get the entire you know that whole thing goes towards whatever candidate so it's it's really important and and i think you're you're, you're going to continue to see that globally um i'm sure um because you know elections are spatial they have a spatial component Mm. Yeah, yes. Um, I suppose it is exciting times, as you say, mm -hmm. um, for the for the GIS professional. Mm -hmm. um, they should be looking at, in your opinion, should be looking at either more tools or more applications of those tools. I think, you know, when I, <laughs> I have a couple responses to that, I think it, this sounds maybe a little crazy, but. Um, I think we need to stop calling it GIS a platform and stop calling GIS a system of record or some big back office scary thing that's going to cost a lot of money. Yeah. And, 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 and pushing everything together under that term, you know, it, because I think that really does a disservice to the future of this whole thing. And I think it's held this industry back. So I think yeah. the price has to be lowered. And, you know, you can give away free stuff and say, you know, we have, and, and you know, and say about how we have a site license for small government and it's so cheap and blah, blah, blah. But that's not really the problem. The problem is you're using this bloated sort of platform where you only use a small percentage of the tools, but you're paying for all of it. Yeah. And start looking at things like open source, get involved in that. Um, and then I also think, and I've told people this before when they're looking for jobs, is, you know, start looking at people at Amazon. They're hiring a geospatial architect or something for their logistics group. And because Amazon's going to build a, a spatial platform, right? They're going to build it for, for helping them, you know, move packages through, through the world like they do today and as they move to drones. But once they get that platform built for themselves, they're going to make it available to everybody just, just like they did with the cloud. Um, and then you have people like um, um, 
Tableau building spatial analysis right in their platform. So if I was looking, if I was in this field and was starting out, I'd be looking at those kind of organizations, seeing what kind of folks are hiring, learn the new terms. Location intelligence is a term that, you know, Pitney Bowes is using, Cardo is using, Esri's sort of picking it up, but it's, you know, start looking at those kinds of terms and get involved in some of the new cutting edge. I think it's just a new era. I think there's a whole new exciting um, world that's going to happen out there um, that you know I, that I want to be part of, and I think um, GIS professionals are desperately needed in those spaces. There's definitely a kind of um, pitting, uh, what do I call it? Pitting traditional GIS mm-hmm. um, against this kind of new, modern, exciting you know, location yeah. analytics and so forth. You know, yeah, you, you read blogs from. You know, Carto, Mapbox, and and you know the, the kind of the new cool kids, I, I guess. You know, and it's very much this kind of you know traditional GIS versus location analytics. It, it's a really interesting space at the moment. It is, and you know, part of it is the 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 sort of I think of the back office legacy vendors have mm-hmm. business, business models where they have to bring in big deal. They have to sell enterprise licenses. They have to be selling at that space. I mean, when GIS started, I mean, I mean, well, I don't know, like server is in the, you know, $40,000, maybe it's even more internationally. That's a lot of money. So they have to kind of be in that space. They have to promote that space because that business model is what they live off of. Like, you know, changing your entire business model and your technology at the same time is really, really almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, you'd almost look for some of these companies to spin off kind of startup, small startup companies that could really start from scratch. But, you know, I'm not seeing that in the in the traditional world so i think you're going to see these other companies are just going to start you know doing their own thing and and getting involved in open source and it, and it is exciting and they're going to leverage the data that has been automated and maintained by some of these traditional gis um yeah. focus groups so yeah yeah you can definitely see the um the the need for gis or stop maybe stop calling it gis mm-hmm um, and and just be another way, another an analysis platform. I want to say, I want to say platform, but it's not platform. Channel, Mm-mm. yeah. An- analyzing analyzing the same data that you have in your ERP or your CRM yep. or whatever. That it's 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 the middle tier um, that's doing the analysis, and the front tier could be anything else in the back mm-hmm. tier, the database tier. Yeah, it could be anything, right? And. And if you look at like even like a, there's a company called MapD here in in San Francisco that just has spatial analysis as part of their advanced analytics, super fast analytics that they're doing and getting investments in. And just one of the analytics they do happens to be spatial. And I, I think you know, and and I also understand though that I mean it's not that these systems are going to go away, right? The folks that have been doing GIS for years or can continue to do that because it's not, you know, it's not like these big cities are going to not be using their GIS platform right away. But I think as new the new workforce comes into place and a lot of these traditional GIS managers and mapping specialists retire, I think you're going to see movement in, in a different direction. Yeah. Um, and then finally, just to... Mm-hmm. Um, for those who have read your blog posts, you, you've had something to say about the science of where. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, we're... <laughs> uh, what do we say? We've—I wouldn't say we've mocked it, but um, <laughs> we've 
we we no longer have this map man and map girl, which got changed to map woman because you you can't um <laughs> yeah you can't be geometry yeah. to to females anymore. <laughs> right, which is a good thing, by the way. <laughs> it is. I'm, I'm sounding like I'm missing the past, but so. <laughs> I know you do. And by the way, before you go on, I'm going to say that when I started and I went to an AAG meeting, Association of American Geographers, there was like four of us, it felt like, women. <laughs> so I'm, GIS has opened the field. So you see a lot more women in this field. And I'm very excited about that. That's actually another one of my passions is mentoring women that are in the technology space or the GIS space, because I think we need we need obviously women and men in this in this field. So, anyway, keep going. I, th- I think men, men and girls is, is the way it used to be referred to. <laughs> yes, I know. I mean, yeah, I've been a technologist for years. I get the I get how women are treated in this field. So, yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah. So we've got um. You don't have map man and map woman anymore. Um. Mm-hmm. You, you have wear man, which sounds a bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> so. We came up with um, weirologist, weirographer, or ominist. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Um, to try and try and explain. So this is this is a simple way people can say, "Well, I'm a weirologist, so I know tech. I'm about um, you know, I can get into server XML programming stuff." Or weirographer, I represent the wear. Uh, cartographer, a bit of analytics. You know, I can present spatial information so people mm-hmm. understand what the purpose of this data is. Or we're ominist, which is about measuring the wear, so remote sensing or that sort of thing. Um, what would you say you were? Or well, you know, I, I, been, or? I, when I think, as I hear you talking about this, I, I keep thinking that I'm none of those. I'm a geographer, and I, <laughs> and I know I'm that you must fit into the, um, I, into the box. I don't, I don't have to fit into this, or it's just a really bad marketing slogan. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm saying that because I think it's just sad, and I, you know, and I think it's sad because it really, you know. The people that are at the at Esri and I, I was a one of the directors, right? None of them are. Very few of them are geographers, and so I think they miss that geography is not just about where and and then science is just heavy and burdened and you know it's like okay, I have to be a scientist to do this, no, and so I think it's really sad. Um, so I think we need to get back to the basics. And a lot of it's sub-disciplines. Um, it's because it's all—it's more than where. And you know, and I think if you if you actually were a geographer, you'd understand. You know, there's about process. There's processes, how things happen over time, how things are connected, and some of that has nothing to do with where they're located. And I've always been frustrated by that because it's like trying to simplify it, simplify something that doesn't need to be. Simplified, but unfortunately, what they what Esri did when they come out with this new slogan is they actually made it more complicated, and I think that was a huge disservice. And that's why I just I just <laughs> it's it's bad. But you know, I, I also think that one way to look at it is not that it's bad; it just reflects their thinking. So I took it as they're moving back to where they started from, which is sort of that back office complex scientific modeling for academics. And I really do think there's a need for that, right? With some of the global climate change modeling that's happen and happening and some of the complex models that, you know, research scientists needs, you know, let, let us refocus on that and let them do that. But I think I'm, you know, I've always been more interested in trying to get geospatial 
and in their terms, where or location or even spatial thinking in the hands of everyone, not just the scientists. Yeah. And so for me, when I looked at that, I'm like, okay, I know where they're heading. Let's look somewhere else for where the future is going to be in terms of, um, you know, really, really taking um, sort of a front facing look at where spatial can help people as opposed to sort of back office complex. Do you not find though, if you say I'm a geography, people imagine immediately imagine you in socks and sandals? Oh yeah, and I love that because <laughs> then you get to talk to them about that, Three right? And- yeah, <laughs> I mean, I you know, I mean, this is a we're talking it. I mean, this is sort of a the, the geo clubby thing here. I mean, I'd have to explain that, but I still think that we need to. I mean, I think even if you don't learn geo spatial tools, I think that we need to bring geography back into the classroom. I think we need to think about the world as a global place. You know, a lot of people in the United States don't even know where the, you know, Washington, D.C. is, or they've never been out of their state, far less their country. And I think geography opens up your mind and your vision to the larger context. And one thing I've always liked about geography is holistic. It looks at lots of different disciplines, but from a spatial perspective. So I'm an advocate for geography, but I do agree that, you know, if you want to put a term on somebody's head, I think. I would rather be geospatial um, rather than a where person. <laughs> I do think that the you know there's the science of where, but you you can't have the conversation about where without having the conversation about how and who and when yep. and you know they have all it's, that. It, yeah, it's, it's almost like we're cutting off an, uh, you know an entire section of, of uh, mm-hmm. analysis. It's weird. Yeah, I, but I think it I think it reflects and I you know when I was there there was always this push. And as we just sort of go back to its roots and sort of focus on the academic researchy kind of thing. And I think that that term, I think maybe that slogan just sort of is a signal for that. Um, And I don't think you're going to see a lot of innovation out of Esri that's more, you know, consumer focused, easy to use, inexpensive, um, lightweight, any of that. You're just not going to see it and never really had. But I think that I think that Esri was signaling to the community is the only thing I can take is that they're going back to that sort of back office kind of thing. Um, and so I think we need to look elsewhere for where the future of geospatial is going to be. And I, that's why I encourage people, and I wrote a blog post of that, do it, you know, every year, just reevaluate what you're doing and look at what's out there. Join geo communities that aren't vendor, um, and this is not just for Esri, but other GIS companies that just aren't um, vendor organized and managed, you know, go to meetups, go to Phosphor G meetings, you know, join communities where you can talk about things outside of what the vendor is telling you to talk about and, you know, evaluate, you know, what you need to do um, and start making a checklist on on that. And I think it's just, that's true for any technology, I think, but for technology that you're so dependent on, I think you need to do that because, you know, where is Esri going to be in five years? Nobody knows. And same with some of these other vendors. So, great. Well, th- I would you. definitely do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for that, Linda. Um, now, if people <laughs> want to um, follow you, your blog posts are on. F- what, where are your blog posts? Actually, I do most of my blog posts on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. So definitely link in with me at um, Linda Hecht or Linda Stevens. You can find me either way, and I I do blog posts there. And then my company is fifty one by one. Five one by one, and if you look that up, it's actually a coordinate. So that's a little test for you. <laughs> we did wonder. Yeah. Did you find it? No, we were just going to ask what. Oh yeah, it's a coordinate. So didn't you look it up? It, yeah, 
yeah and you're also on um you're also on instagram mm-hmm. um most things there are uh, kind of cocktail related. I was just wondering, <laughs> what's your what's your favorite cocktail? <laughs> well, if you looked at that, you would notice it's a Manhattan. Um, ah, okay. Yeah, but I was just doing some some local marketing for some of my favorite restaurants and and places about town. So I've been using Instagram for that <laughs> to right, help. Sure, sure, it's yeah, more yeah, of a yeah. local marketing. <laughs> What a great platform oh, yeah, for no, me. I, I had to drink because of the marketing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's what's fun about marketing, right? Yeah, too. True, true. Yeah. Great. There you go. Well, thanks so much, Linda. It's been um, great to talk to you. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, get, your, get your take on the industry. Yeah, it's, it was nice to meet you guys. Yeah, it's been fun. Yep. Okay. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Well, Mark, that was the interview. It was. Now, if we should have put a disclaimer there. If we sounded slightly jaded, it was because we were up at 5 a.m. Yeah, t- I mean, to talk we, with Linda. <laughs> we, we go the, the extra mile for our listeners, I've got to say. I mean, other podcasts, hey, they just keep it in their time zone. We're in New Zealand. Yeah. You know, we have to <laughs> get up with other people's time and zones. The other irony was that the first time we tried to do that, it failed. Um, so then we had to get up at 5am w- next week as well yeah well yeah technology let us down so it was um, hey it was yeah, well worth it it, it was. was well worth it what, what was your takeaway points Chris um, well I, th- I, I think uh, you know um, in uh, little old New Zealand we have um, we're perhaps a little bit mm, sheltered gosh, like, sheltered yeah I, I'd go well sheltered. maybe unaware well, maybe, yeah, similar. maybe there was yeah. no need to be aware. <laughs> and I, I think that really was the interesting point. You know, just um, yeah, Linda's views on open source and uh, yeah, and its role and the role it has to play. I think was really interesting. Uh, well, I thought choosing choosing the tools for what you want to do, not for everything the tools do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, if you want a nice light mapping application that does small amounts of stuff then you probably don't need a whole um, kit and caboodle of GIS functionality. Yep. And I think that was one of the things um, you know, she, uh, she mentioned on a couple of occasions. It's just about, you know, um, you know, in Silicon Valley at the moment, you know, people are just building yeah. geotech. They're, you know, they're not, they're not going to buy it. They're building it. They're um, building uh, it. Yeah, and a uh, great example is um, Uber. If you go and uh, look up Uber on GitHub and see what they're doing in the geospatial space, yeah, it's that it's that great example of, of you know they've started from scratch. Well, you know, well, kind of. No, well, they're, not, they're taking open source stuff. Yeah. Um, but the other aspect was how the word GIS is that a word? The acronym isn't actually useful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I'm going to go change my LinkedIn profile to use the word location analytics. Well, you need to change um, your LinkedIn profile just in general because <laughs> that photo is terrible. Yes, um, <laughs> I do. But yeah, just um, location analytics, um, spatial analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the words that people aren't looking for people who can do GIS because GIS isn't really, I wouldn't say it isn't really a thing, but isn't, um, isn't quite the... Uh, I don't know functionality that we're talking about. Yeah, I think it, it, it's almost uh, you know at a concept level. You know, 
on the one hand you know that you have this thing called GIS which you have to go off and explain but if you actually talk about location analytics or lo- location intelligence it, yeah. it, it I think it makes more sense in, in lots of respects yeah so um, with that so go update update your CVs everyone with uh, location analytics and spatial intelligence mm-hmm. um, and the word geospatial geospatial uh, intelligence there we yeah go, go to uh, 51 by 1 um, uh, yep. dot com I'm assuming um, yeah and uh, yeah check out uh, Linda's um, web page yep and with that Chris that's the end of the podcast it is uh, no uh, no export to show file I know lots of people are going to be pretty sad about that but um, running out of time yes indeed um, and so we'll speak to you next week uh, yeah goodbye <laughs>